Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday, and uh, I was putting this off to do the Tefillah podcast, which I hope to do right now. As always, thanks to Mishpacha Stefanski, uh, because I was, I was I was thinking about it. And I'll tell you why. I'll cut right to the chase. Uh, I mentioned last week, I got this communication from this YU guy and all that. I got a lot of feedback. But somebody who I respect said, what about the Rambam? He reminded me. In the Murnabuchim, who seems to say, or perhaps can be interpreted to say, is that really you don't need to feel or something something along those lines. Right? In other words, it's not really what God needs or wants or Whatever. And uh, I didn't give much thought to it, um, but I looked it over the other day. Um, I forgot about it. And I want to speak about it now. I don't agree with the interpretation, but I can see that someone would, would, would go that way. But uh, at the end of the day, I still think that the Rambam himself, when he Davin, uh if I can use the terminology, you know, more like a Hasidic type guy. That's my opinion, based on what I read of the Rambam's writing, is is a correspondence with others, is uh, touchy-feely stuff that he shares with uh, friends and supporters in the Middle East. Um, the reason I was giving thought to this, <coughs> it's a very interesting topic. Uh, it cuts right to the core of things. And uh, if you care about the Sheetas of the Rambam, which I know people do, and uh, they want to know, no, is this an acceptable position in Judaism? And so happens that um, my next lecture series that's coming up in a week or two, I just signed up for, is about the Maimonidean controversies. I don't know, I was persuaded to do this subject. Ari Elbaum told me about it. <clears throat> maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. But anyway, now I'm committed to it. And uh, in other words, there will be soon, the end of June, beginning of March, during the three weeks every year, I try to do a uh, lecture series here in Baltimore during the three weeks on some, uh, you know, famous tragedy or whatever. You know what I mean? Jewish history is replete with those. And it's uh, in the spirit of the of the three weeks, Bainam Mitzarm. Uh You know, the usual things. Uh, this year, I'm going to be concentrating on the fights that were caused by the Rambam's ideas, which are not like a holocaust or anything like that, but were productive of a lot of disunity and period among the Jewish people, especially in the 1200s. Especially in the 1200s. So, it's something of an arcane topic, but it's not, but those, I know that there are many among the people listening to this, that will talk and be interested in that subject. So, uh, if you go on um, uh, my show website, I guess, if you do Beth Haber in Baltimore, you'll see the flyer for it, the poster. And in general, it'll, it'll be up on the YouTube channel as we go through the three weeks. 
Uh, so if you look there, you'll you'll see the titles. I hope to do six. Now the MS is a subject like my the Maimonidean controversies is like not six but sixty or thirty anyway. In fact, somebody showed me and the notes. And I get a chance to look at him from his course in Why You and Rebel on the Maimonidean controversy. That would be Professor Berger, who's a bucky in this stuff. There you go, at Rachel Bichaktana, I can in six talks do like that. People have to understand, when I give my lectures, uh, I have a very wide and variegated audience. And I have to always um, try to steer a course between um, dumb and superficial on the one hand, but too complex and too profound on, on the other hand. That's what I try to do in my talks, which are popular in nature, but, you know, I hope I have... Um, Content, I mean potatoes. So in my Manadine controversy, very much along those lines. Uh, it's not so simple. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, and in the context of the podcast today, in this whole Tefila thing, which you see can go in a lot of different directions, I'm always responding to what people are writing me when they do so sincerely, and they do. I have a good audience. So, uh, what do you do with what? To, let me put it this way: from a philosophical perspective, uh, I'm not saying he's right. From a philosophical perspective, uh, what's the point of prayer when God is un- <clears throat> unknowable and beyond, beyond, like the sort of things we talked about last time? I got a lot of feedback from that. So, um, let me proceed by uh, showing you the problematic passage that was sent to me. It was very interesting. So all this stuff is, um, is uh, what shall I say, um, uh, open but fairish. It's known. But I don't think most people open up the, uh, the what do you call it, the uh, Mernabuchim. Now, maybe I'll talk about this on Sunday. Mernabuchim is actually private letters the Rambam shared with a student of his. But nevertheless, it doesn't matter. So it, the... Um, God for the Perplexed, the third part, chapter 32. That's the famous place where the Rambam says that uh, Carbonus was like a Bidiavid. Right? I think many of you are familiar with that, even if you're not fully conversant with the Murnabuchim. That's like one of the more prominent things. Especially because the Ramban blasts him in the Chumash, and a lot of people in the course of their studies, male and female, have come across the Ramban and the Chumash, especially the controversial ones. Now, um, the Rambam basically says that um, in a perfect world, really, 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 God would not have told him to make carbonos. This is, I guess, based on the following idea, which makes sense, and that is, we don't have carbonos today. You don't have carbonos. I don't have carbonos. We don't have a base of Mikdash. Uh, I know some pretty from people. Uh, people live righteous lives. Good people. Ben al-Machaber, ben al-Makam. If you want my opinion, I think the Chavetz Chaim went to heaven, for example. <laughs> you know, I think the Rambam himself went to heaven. I didn't have no carbonus. Shmami, you know, you don't need carbonus, or you don't need a carbon mincha, or the whole panoply of the kahuna and all the rest of it, in order to get to heaven, <laughs> or live a good life. So what are you talking to need it for? This is always the common sense and perhaps philosophical critique on the whole Kutchim and Tyrus. You know, <clears throat> you don't need it. <clears throat> you know, you don't need it. Um... So the Rambam is writing to this student of his, and uh, 
he basically makes the argument, as I said before, they were dealing with evolutionary process, that is to say, to a certain degree, the Torah has to be understood historically. This is a very uh, tricky business. I, I repeat what I just said, to a certain degree. Now, uh, here you run into a big problem for a lot of from people, because on the one hand, you're telling me the Torah is timeless. On the other hand, you're telling me the Torah is timely. You're telling me the Torah was given at a certain time and place, which is true. No one can deny that. On the other hand, you're telling me that whatever the contents were in whatever particular time and place, they are beyond that time and place. So that's the firm approach. Maybe the Torah was given 3,300 years ago or something like that. But it's just as Nogea in Baltimore today as it was then. That's the basic idea, right? I Maybe it reflects the mores of the society back. No, 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 no. The Torah is timeless. You get it? Um, Adraba, you know, it's the conservative, the reform, didn't want to make the argument that since the Torah is timely, it's not no gay anymore. It's not, it doesn't apply. So the Orthodox say, no, it applies. The Rambam also says it applies. We want to be very clear about that. But he tries to have the cake and eat it, which means that the Rambam, especially in the Mordebuchim, not in the Mishnah Torah, hardly at all, in the Mordebuchim, he will make the case that since the Torah is given in a specific time and place, so God was giving a timeless zach in, in a time-bound framework, in, in, a, in history, in a certain time and place, which means that the Torah had to be refracted or maybe, uh, what's the right word, refined perhaps, uh, or formulated to fit that time and place, even though it's also supposed to be not only for that time and place. And this is tricky business. These are matters of Jewish theology, as they call it. Now, um, along those lines, since 3,300 years ago, all religions evolved Karbonas. So if God would have said to the Jewish people, I'm giving you a religion which is purely philosophical and therefore zero Karbonas, it would have been too much to accept. It would have been too much to accept. People couldn't handle it. And it'd be, basically, it'd be something along the lines, you're driving on the highway and the beltway, and you're driving 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, uh, shame on you, and uh, you slam on the brakes. <laughs> Whereupon what happens? You know, the I guess the engine shoots shoots through the, the hood, you know. You have a, a gigantic problem. So if everybody uh, is holding by carbonus, and that's the way you worship whatever deity you worship, and then you tell me the Jewish religion without any of that, and, you know, so therefore drop all carbonus, it would have been like a short circuit, like a crash mentally, and they couldn't handle it. This is the basic thesis of the Rambam. Uh, he embellishes it, he develops it along these lines, and uh, his argument is, I mean, he buttresses the argument as a philosopher would do, with all kind of psukim and, and proofs and things like that. And the basic episode goes as follows. The Shalom changes nature, but he doesn't change human being personality-wise, okay? Hashem is a kol yochel, he could, but it, that's not what he does. Uh, for whatever reason, it's part of the way divine operations that God will make a shinui hatevo. Um, he split the Red Sea, you understand? You know, he made the donkey talker or whatever, get it? He can do miracles in the teva, but he doesn't do a miracle to make Paro all of a sudden become a member of the B'nai B'rith. You follow? Paro, a member of a, he doesn't make Haman 
turn overnight and become a member of the Agudas Yisrael. Doesn't do it. He could, right? And perhaps in history, something has happened once or not. I don't know. He could, but he doesn't. Okay? Therefore, Basher Husham. The Rabbani Shalom deals with the Jewish people, Basher Husham, where they're holding. And the proof is from beginning of Parsha B'Shalach, where it says, As we all know the story, Hashem didn't take them straight up to Israel. Otherwise, if the Jews would have walked across the top of the Sinai Desert, Sinai Peninsula, I believe everybody listening to this knows the geography, so it wouldn't be a couple days. Right? Walk from the Suez Canal to Israel. It's not so far. Right? Not so far. It's not push it logistically with the water and everything, but, uh, you know, Shem could have taken care of that. Many people don't know, in the First World War, which lasted from 1914 to 1918, the British couldn't invade Palestine until 1917 because even though the British were at the Suez Canal, they controlled Egypt because they couldn't solve the water problem. Any big, big army across the top of the Sinai Desert, even though it was not that far away, it was a tremendous water problem until they engineered their way out of that. So here also, it's a miracle that they would get 3 million people across, but after a couple of days, he'd be in Eretz Yisrael. But as we all know, lo nochem elohim derech esplishtim, ki karafu, ki amar elohim, pen yinochem o'am, berosim o'cham v'shom mitzvahim. I think that's how it goes. I think you know the Pasuk like I know the Pasuk. And Hashem's like this, if they see derech esplishtim, remember this Rashi, you know, they'll see the Philistines are too formidable, um, they'll see the dead bodies of the others who tried to go through. Whatever the case is, they're not ready to fight. Now, the Ramah said like this, as a result, Hashem marched by Yasebel, he missed him, uh, God made a detour. He took them on a long roundabout route um, because they weren't ready to fight the Philistines. I, if Hashem wants to, he can just make the Philistines all drop dead, but that's not how he operates. Instead, he operates by Sher Husham. So the Rabbanu Shalom's idea was to get the Jews to Israel. This is for the Maraglam, of course. Get the Jews from Israel. If I take them regular way, it uh, won't be good. I'll take them a roundabout way. Okay? So, uh, to Rambam, this is like very significant. I know he mentions this in Zigeris Tchiesemesim as well. So he really was bound up with this sort of thing. Uh, I'm thinking now, by the way, Sunday to do the Rambam student. Because then you get a little bit of an idea of of how the Rambam operates, especially his very, very interesting use of Tanakh all the time. All the time to make his points, you know, to back up his points. Uh, so consequently, if he would say, I'm making a new religion, drop all the Avodah and just worship Hashem, but, you know, just do it through philosophical um, speculation. It'd be, like I say, it'd be like driving uh, 80 miles an hour and then slamming on the brake. People couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle it. So am I, he said, listen, I'll wean you off and we'll have Jewish carbonus in great detail, just like the Goyim have, and it'll have a specific time and a place and only a coin and Zara Karbimus and Tumasachlin and all the rest of the thing goes longer there. So the people have something to wean themselves away from the regular Buddha Zara to which they were addicted and to which the Jewish people, as we all know from reading the Tanakh, remained addicted for the next thousand years, unfortunately. Okay? They never did get out of it. That's why they had to be Mavatel. 
That's what that means, right? That's what that means. And so, um, what was the result? Uh, the, uh, he gave up, he said like this, we'll have carbonus, but we'll do it in a way that will wean you off the others. So first of all, everybody can't have their own backyard. There should be one uh, Mizbeach, eventually, anyway, eventually. One Mizbeach, um, you know, his bombas were temporary, then the bombas were supposed to be not there. I'm actually talking a little bit about that. I hope this Sunday I have yard site for my mom, so I'm putting together a dry Torah. But anyway, um, so the Karbanas, the Jewish Karbanas will replace the Geisha ones. The Jewish Karbanas will be highly restricted. Only a Kohen can do it. He can only do it in the Temple in Jerusalem. You'll do it a lot less than otherwise you would do it. And little by little, you'll get used to, what's the right word? You know, you'll, you'll stop smoking. You'll get rid of your bad habits. In this case, you'll stop doing Avodah now, in order to hammer this point home, the Rambam says the following. Um, I have a whole bunch of different um, translations that I'm learning about. It's one of the things I do. The newest one is by the late Professor Schwartz. And uh, the Rambam says, this is the newest, you know, he wrote in Arabic. This is... Uh, when the Ram's trying to explain, so I'm reading you a recent, a written translation of the Judeo Arabic of the original in Paragimel, uh, I'm sorry, Chela Gimel Paragimel, and he says, if he would have called cold turkey and just dropped all the carbonas, it would have caused a short circuit. They couldn't handle it. Okay? And he says, da 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 da, Hadavar Hayadoma Baosa Yomim to declare an end of carbonas. Would be like Kila Biomenu Hoyabon Novi Akori Lavodasoyo. Imagine if a Novi, the Ram says, would now at nowadays come and say you should worship God by Omer, and this Novi would say, and, and he would be recognized as a real Novi, and he would say, God has commanded you, Shalotis Paolo love, do not daven to him, Lotasumu, and don't fast. And don't turn to him in times of trouble. Uh, your worship of God should be entirely intellectual without any Misa Mitzvah whatsoever. If you would do such a thing, it'd be too much to handle. Therefore, the Torah doesn't talk like that, and the Torah gives Mitzvahs. So, the person who sends this to me is making a case. I mean, it's an old word, you know. There are professors who have written about this. Professor Kellner has a, a book in one of the chapters about this. Uh, so you see the round basically saying like this. Tefillah is a, is a, a bedievic. And it's kind of pointless. Because as I said before, God's beyond Riyasagas. And God can't change. So uh, the only thing is it has to be a, uh, what's the right word? A concession to popular, not superstition, but to popular needs. Um, that's what he said. Imagine if another would say, just worship God intellectually. So, like I said before, I hear the part, but that's not how I understand it. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, when the Rambam says, even here, and by the way, this is the Rambam at his most left wing. He had a student who was a left winger and he was trying to always communicate with him. Yosef Ibn Akden. If you read Ram elsewhere, 
doesn't write like that at all, but I'm, I don't want to play that game. I'm willing to, you know, stipulate, we'll just go by the murder book for the purposes of today's discussion. And I respect, you know, the person who sent me and, and, and so forth, and I do. You know, you don't have to agree with somebody. You can respect people who are sufficient, sufficiently perspicacious that they think about matters of tefillah and God and all the rest of it. I mean, you know, you have to respect it. Nowadays, most people waste their time with junk, you know. So, uh, call a kabob. Now, uh, this is how I understand it. Um, and as I always say, you don't even mean I'm the board of sanctuary. I could be wrong. This is my opinion. And I'm not a philosopher. When the Rambam said that the Rambam started and gave Carbonus along this system, what he really is saying, as I understand it, is God does not need to run the world in Carbonus because uh, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, he didn't set it up that way necessarily. He can do whatever he wants. Uh, so it, it, it's it, as a Kol Yachob, God could run the world, in which case it makes no difference whether you offer a Carbonola or Karmachatos, or Reich Nechokor and that stuff. That's true. But he does. <laughs> right? When he said, I want this in the Torah, and I want you to build this and this and this, it wasn't a big confidence game of con man, saying let's let's uh, uh, play a big joke on all these roofs for their own benefit. Because they don't understand how primitive they are. Right? For their own benefit. Who was it? Uh, Ben-Gurion or somebody says, I don't care what the people want, I know what they need. So then God is saying, oh, this is what they need. They need to, to believe in this. But it's not a con game. What it means is that, and I think the Rambam held this way, in my opinion. When he set up all this system with Carbonus, so from then on he ran the world according to that. Made enough come in if you offer up a carbon this or a carbon that. This is how the Teva was. Uh, and you find this repeated in the, in the, in the prophets uh, all the time. The same prophets that'll blast the people and say, who needs your lousy carbonus? They're not against carbonus, as you know, because the same prophets go and praise the carbonus. They're talking about inappropriate when you offer a carbon instead of being good. When you offer a carbon as a cover-up for your religious hypocrisy, your social injustice, the rich screwing the poor, and so on and so forth. Like we say today, the guy kicks out a widow and orphan on the street, then he puts on a straddle and six gargles. That's what the prophets are against. They don't say the whole Carbonus idea is stupid. Right? Even though the Rambam would say, the Shitoso, that they held that way. Doesn't matter. Because the Rambam will say, as the prophet said, if that's how God chooses to run the world, maybe he runs the world as a concession to human frailty. Like I said before, he doesn't need to run it this way, but he this is what he wishes to do. This is what he chose to do. That's why you have all these details in the Torah about the Carbonus. Uh, this is all because he, he from now on, he's going to run it this way. So the same thing is with tefillah. You understand? In other words, he doesn't need to have a tefillah. And from a strictly philosophical perspective, it could be that the person just masigin el hus as a theologian. And he's concentrating on Yichad Hashem. And, uh, you know, he's he's truly thinking, you know, trying to get his wrap his, his head around that which is unwrappable, but you got to do it anyway. You have to give it the old school try. 
which is how do you relate to a God which is beyond Hasogos, therefore you can't relate to him. And yet, as a human being, you want to relate to him. Um, and Rambam also, in his most philosophical mood, still holds that the number one job of the person in the world, I repeat, the number one job of the person in the world is to relate to God. <laughs> so how does one do that? So you have to work on mastering the idea that God is beyond beyond. And um, every time you set up a, an, an idea, you have to always pinch yourself and say it isn't the real idea. But having said that, uh, and there's nothing else but him, uh, or but it, whatever you want to call it, God's not even in it if you want to get my monodian on me. So uh, struggle with that. Right? Fight the battle of Yichad Hashem. Don't just simply say, you know, try to get wrap your head around it. And as you proceed in life, if you re- give it real shot, you'll succeed 1% and maybe later 2% and later even 3%. Not more than that, you know. But that's Kavaldic. According to the Rambam, then you're a great person. So that would require thinking about it like the Hasidim Hashem, I keep saying, an hour before, an hour during, an hour after. You would spend all day long thinking about God. To the Rambam, that is exactly what you're supposed to do. Anytime you take away from that for Narishkeit, is like a crime. You know, Bishlim, if you have a family, and you have to take care of your needs in the sense of putting bread on the table, relating to your children, relating to your spouse. Yes, that's true. But they're all in the nature of necessary, not in the nature of good, in the Maimonidean philosophical system. Uh, I think it's a turnoff, but I but I get it. And um, it's, just, it's just part of the way people set up. Listen, you also got to go to the bathroom. You got to do it. So, okay. But it's not the glorious part. The glorious part is what happens outside the bathroom. So here also, thinking in these terms, the glorious part is not what happens when you're interacting with your customers, taking care of your children, speaking to your wife, handling with other people, getting even involved in chesed uh, activities. Um, those are not the important things. They're necessary, and the person should do that, but nevertheless, that's not. it's outside of that framework where the real stuff happens. When I sit there and contemplate the oneness and majesty of God, always pinching myself and saying, he's not one, and the majesty, it's not really majesty, you know, this, this constant throwing up ideas and pinching them and throwing up ideas and pinching yourself and throwing up ideas and pinching yourself is like what it's all about, okay? Now it would be the kind of Dvekas idea according to this. Uh, having said that, once God created the, these carbonic system, he said, this is how I'm going to run. Now, Reich Nikoch might not be you know, like a human Reich Nikoch, you know, it smells good, but you get the idea it's something that God's going to, is put into Brian and, and you should do it. He wants you to do it. Okay? Uh, he wants you to do it. Similarly with Tefillah. I remind you, even in Morni Bucham, the Rambam still holds that um, Tefillah is a mitzvah. Not the formal prayer that we have, as we saw, that evolved. But prayer per se, a person can't go around and not engage with God, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, it's not the same thing as contemplating God. It's engaging. Tefillah means, as I understand it, you move beyond the contemplation part. Uh, now, the contemplation is very uh, huge. 
maybe maybe bigger than tefillah to somebody like the Rambam. Not to me, but to somebody like the Rambam, it's bigger than tefillah. Because then you are, um, what's the right word? Then you are, uh, you know, getting active in it. Uh, you know, you, 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 you're, you're refining. That's a better way of putting it. Active is the wrong word. Refining. Okay, you're, 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 you're striving to understand God better, and understanding is all a human being can do. All right? Understanding God better, that's the, the whole goal of life. Having said that, right, God also commanded you to do a different type of uh, relationship with him, which is engaging, and that is tefillah. As I said before, the Rambam originally holds that the tefillah is like the, the, the Quakers, so it's got to be spontaneous, it's got to be real, and all that. And we can all easily see the mildness of such an approach. But that's not contemplation. Get it? It's not contemplation. Contemplation is a philosophical exercise, which has nothing to do necessarily with me talking to God or trying to... It's not relational. You get it? When I um, contemplate a historical subject, it's not relational. Get it? Is intellectual. Now, like I said before, I'm not a philosophy professor, and maybe can dig something what I'm saying. I'm telling you the way I understand it. That's all I can ever do on a podcast. I only tell you the way I understand. Um, in spite of everything we just said, there's a mitzvah of Philip, the Rambam himself. I remind you, makes this point at the very beginning. Holds uh, Tfilo. Now, either you're going to say it's all big fake, he's talking to the dummies, he doesn't hold himself, or not. I don't think so. I don't I don't think you're supposed to look at the Mornavuchim uh, as they're making fun of what he said in the Mishnah Torah. It may be raising it in the Rambam's opinion to a more um, abstract and intellectual level. And for intellectuals, anything, the more abstract you get, the better. That may be. But it's not contradictory in any way with what you have in the Mitzvah Mysias. So all you're telling me is, why did God set these Mitzvah Mysias out there? So in this case, he was saying, imagine a prophet who said, God doesn't need the prayers, he wants you to go and um, contemplate it. Because that's what he was saying before. And just contemplate it. But Lamaisa, right, whatever he might have wanted, or something like that, the way he said it was, you, God says, I want people to do to pray. Now, I don't understand. If that's the case, then it means he set the world up. He chooses to. That prayers have efficacy. Get it? Prayers have efficacy. Otherwise, to me, it's like a, a cruel joke. It's, it's silly. I want you to do it. I want you to pray. But it won't mean anything. Now, the Rambam speculates on this in chapter 32, and he says, maybe it's just to teach people good morals, or things like that. I think that's, I don't take him to mean that, that is, we're playing a big game. That you're saying all these things, slach, loner, refrain, and all the rest of it, to refine your theology, to understand where things come from. Uh, the way the prayers are structured, sounds like, God says, I'm going to give this an efficacy. So when you doubt them, things will happen. Or they can. They can't. Uh, as it says over and over again in the Tanakh by Yisakov and Yisrael Hashem I mean when you read um, you know Yoshua Shoftim 
Shmuel they use this language grossly. They say the Jewish people were oppressed. They cried out and God heard them. I don't want to go into details, but I mean, there's dozens of examples of this. So, you know, the Rambam will say, is this a way of talking? I don't think he'll say it's a way of talking. I don't think so. I think he'll say, that God, the, rather, the following. God doesn't need to run the world this way. And he certainly doesn't need the prayers in order to decide what to do. <laughs> Nevertheless, he made the, once he made this as part of the Bria, so part of the Bria is, if you doubt in a certain way at a certain time, a certain mentality and all the rest of it, there will be an effect. In other words, it becomes part of the Bria. Maybe part of the Teva. I don't, you know, I'm not enough of a metaphysician to know if that's the right way of putting it. It, it feels part of the Teva. But something like that, right? Now I repeat, doesn't need to do it. God doesn't need to do anything. And from a strictly intellectualist perspective, one could understand that, you know, an unchangeable God isn't, you know, going to be affected by prayer. But if God says, you daven in this and this way, in this and this time, things will happen, then it becomes a real, right? It becomes real. The Mukabon tried to get around this by saying, you know, you're daven to one of the spheros and all that. But Rama has no time for any of that stuff. He doesn't ever talk like that. He's talking about the Bria set up in such a way that things happen, which is why uh, intelligent people, whatever they read here and there, you know, like these passages, intelligent people feel, I, well, that's the wrong, I don't want to use that word. Not intelligent people. I'll speak for myself. As I said before, I've seen, I mean, I'm going to sound like floozy woozy, but who cares? Uh, I've seen prayer work. At least I persuade myself that. Now, you can't prove it. It might be self-delusional and so on and so forth. I do understand that. And there's certainly no guarantee. A lot of times you see prayer doesn't give what you want. But a lot of times you see it does. I think the Rambam was not less than me. He had to see the same thing. Uh, he had to see the same thing. The point is that uh, you have a certain how to go to world. Okay? What the prophets and the, and the rabbis criticize is insincere prayer. By the way, he makes this point in chapter 32 over there. If you read towards the end of it, he says, in the VM, we're talking about, you know, Mrs. Anashim Lumado, and uh, what's, the, what's the Pusik say? Befihem, they're with me, but Bemachshaftim, they're somewhere else. There's a Pusik like that, you know. Um, no, it's misuse of prayer, uh, abuse of prayer. Um, the Rambam, remember, is the guy that went crazy over talking in Shul, and he abolished the silence from Nazareth. That's not the essence of prayer. That's the way the prayer can be conducted. Okay? The way prayer can be conducted. But if God set the world up like this, if we had the base image tomorrow, then the carbonists would matter. Notice they would affect the Bria. If you have, we don't have a base image, you have a prayers today, then they affect the Bria. That's my understanding of it. And I think. I, I I don't, uh, all I can say is I honestly don't think I'm making this up. You know, you never know. Maybe a formerly guy, you know, is looking for something. I mean, you know, I, I, we all have to acknowledge that. But I honestly don't think that's the way it is. I think rather, as I said before, that for whatever reasons, uh, the world is now so constructed, doesn't have to be this way, but God so constructed it, that uh, the davening matters, okay, has efficacy. Obviously, it's not tit for tat. 
There's no guarantee, as everybody knows. You can't dive in and win the jackpot tomorrow. You know, there's all kinds of ways of dealing with that. Um, some puerile and some intelligent. But that's a different thing altogether, okay? But that the tefillahs can be poel, and therefore there's a purpose to davening. To me, it's like, a, I think the Ramam does agree with that. Uh, and as I said before, that seems to be the type of person he was in general. Maybe in an ideal theoretical philosophical world, it'd be different. That I acknowledge, but then any intelligent person acknowledges that. After all, there was a time there was no shachas min chamarev. So then when it was left up to you in the old days, you know, in the biblical times, uh, we talked about, the realm talked about being held as field, you're supposed to daven on your own. When did you daven? How did you daven? Obviously, a regular schnook would daven when he needed parnoso. Nothing wrong with that. A higher person, in the time of David Amalek, would daven in a more sublime, trans business, you know, in a sort of Maimonidean way. Uh, okay, it's always going to be like that, you know. The higher people can dive in a more abstract fashion. But that doesn't mean that that's the only reality and the others are not real. Anyway, that's my take on this, uh, for what it's worth. Uh, again, I say again, I appreciate the the challenge or the insight, and I, you know, uh, I can see where someone might disagree with what I'm saying, but I honestly don't agree that that's what the Rambam means over here. Um, I think this is a very intelligent type of question and discussion to have um, when a grown-up person wants to deal with, with a question like prayer. I think I went too long for today, but it's good uh, it's, it's to engage in this type of speculation once in a while. Anyway, once again, thank the Mr. Vancey's and um, hope everybody has a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.